welcome back to another episode of I'm Coming Out, the podcast where well-known people tell me, Johnny Harvey, their coming out stories. And today's guest is Eilish O'Carroll. Eilish plays Winnie McGugan on the phenomenally successful sitcom Mrs. Brown's Boys, which has not only been a huge hit in the UK and Ireland, but also in Australia and Canada. As part of Mrs. Brown's Boys, Eilish has appeared on a spin-off TV chat show, a box office hit movie and has sold out arenas across the British Isles. The show was voted as the best British sitcom of the 21st century by Radio Times readers in 2016. Eilish herself has toured with her own one-woman show, Live Laugh Love, which received rave reviews at the Edinburgh Festival in 2016 and also won the Doric Wilson Intercultural Dialogue Award. I think I said that right. I really wanted to interview Eilish because I wanted to talk to somebody from an older generation who got married quite young and then came to terms with their sexuality later in life. We talk about her ignorance of homosexuality growing up in Holy Catholic Ireland of the 50s and 60s, how turning 40 and falling for a woman was the catalyst for her coming out process, how she struggled with her sexuality throughout her 40s, telling her husband she was in love with a woman, the misconceptions she held herself about the lesbian lifestyle and the bigotry she encountered whilst campaigning for marriage equality in Ireland in 2015. Eilish was the first person who agreed to let me interview her and this was also the first interview I did. Telling your coming out story, as you can imagine, it's a very sensitive issue and Eilish was incredibly honest about hers. I think she gave a really great interview and I think her story is going to help a lot of people. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes as it really helps me and it helps other people to discover the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and here it is. So I'm especially interested in your story because... It's very similar to a lot of gay people yeah. of your generation who came mm-hmm. out much later in life. Yeah. So let's start at the very beginning. Okay. Can you tell me a bit about your background and what was it like growing up in Ireland in the 50s and 60s? Oh, wow. Well, um, I come from a family of 10. I'm number nine. So uh, so I held a, a pretty powerful position for the first four years of my life as a baby. And then Brendan came along. So I was ousted out of that which probably was the making of me because it actually taught me to be very competitive. So, you know, I, I now had to compete for my mother's attention. And uh, because my brother was a year older than me, Brendan was three, three and a half years younger than me. Um, so we were all, there was about five of us still under the age of 10. As I said, big family, 10 of us, 12 of us living in it with my mum and dad living in a very small two up, two down, two up, two down house in Stony Batter, Dublin. I didn't know any different, you know, I thought every all families live like this, all families live in overcrowded conditions. And then my mother was a politician, she went into politics wow. uh, in 1954, again went over my head, I didn't realise what this meant for her, I didn't realise what it would meant for us as a family, it meant basically I didn't see an awful lot of her in my younger years, but, but that's her story now. So. As I said, pretty happy. We moved to Ballymun when she was elected. We this lovely, which I thought was a huge house in comparison yeah. to what we had. And we lived there for about four years and then she didn't get re-elected. So obviously there wasn't the money to pay for the huge house. So we all moved to Fingus. 
and there I spent most of my youth in Fincas. Um, whereas they say if there's a cat with a tail, it has to be a tourist, you know. Yeah. Rough and ready at the time, but again, the making of me. Like yeah, I was up the road from you for years in DCU. There you go. That's the, the same go. area, yeah, isn't same it? same area. Mm -hmm. And during those years, were you at all aware of what homosexuality yeah. even was? I didn't even know what homosexuality was. I didn't know. It was just a language not used. And if it was used, it was obviously used in very hushed tones so that we didn't hear. But no, I had absolutely no idea or no issue with my sexuality. I was as abnormal as anybody else growing up as a teenager in Dublin. Just wanted to meet Mr. Wright and settle down and have babies and uh, like any girl's dream, you know. So um, no, I had absolutely no idea. Were you aware of certain performers maybe on TV, like say of Larry Grayson or Kenneth Williams yeah, later on? That was much later, uh, was no, it? No, it wasn't. Larry Grayson, yeah. yeah I remember my mum loved Larry Grayson. Yeah. And again, I don't ever remember somebody saying to me, he's a gay man or that was any different. She just loved, he was a great entertainer and very, very funny. And I know now, looking back on it, he was full of innuendos. But, but again, kids miss the innuendos, you know. So... No, I wasn't aware of it. I, I look back on my life now and I see that I was very, very close to my girlfriends. And I think that was due to the fact that I had four older brothers um, who were bullies, right? And so I was bullied, you know, by the boys at home. So I grew up resenting them terribly. And I also grew up resenting the fact that I couldn't play for the football team. I, you know, they were the kind of issues that really upset me. You know, I couldn't because I was a girl play for a football team. I couldn't, because I was a girl, want to be an electrician. You know what I'm saying? There were kind of yeah. stuff that I wanted, I thought I would like to do. It was like, no, 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 that's not for girls. So that would irritate me, but I don't know whether that made me gay, but it was certainly irritated me. Yeah, times have really changed now, haven't yes, they? they? Yeah, have, thankfully. You sure have. And when was it then that you moved to England? I moved to England in 1971. Uh, no, I actually went to Canada first. I went to Canada when I was 16 and I, I lived in Canada for about 18 months and then I came back to Ireland because I was very homesick when I was in Canada but when I came back I realised I wasn't that homesick. I really wanted to go back but I didn't go back. I, I met my first husband and I moved to the UK in 1971 and um, I had two children, uh, two boys. The first marriage didn't last and after eight years we were divorced and then I met my second husband and um, and we were very happy. I had 12 years, blissful years with man and that's when my life changed. I, I It changed. And so what then was the, the catalyst? Okay. What changed the catalyst, in your life for my life coming out? Was um, I was coming up for my 40th birthday and you know 40 is a time of change there's no doubt but not just a change of life for some women but I know it's a bit early. Just your kids. My kids were now in their well into their teens. My youngest one was twenty, actually, and uh, or my eldest was twenty, and he was gone off to university. And we were at a time in our lives when you know we were actually planning a future to actually come back to Ireland and settle. Although my husband was English, he all, he loved Ireland, and I always wanted to return home. So when the kids were finished their education, we were um, we were going to try and take early retirement and come to Ireland and settle down and live happily ever after. It was also a time in your life at 40, you start asking big questions like, what is the meaning of life? Stupid questions, by the way, because you're never... Do you think so? Absolutely. There's no definite waste, answer. Don't waste your energy, <laughs> right? It's a diversion. Just 
get on with your life. So I was a, a That's good advice, really, actually. Just yeah. get on with things. Just get on with That's things. That's what my mum would say. It is what it is. Right? <laughs> you're not happy with it, bloody change it. You know, it's like, stop it, you know. But yeah. I was at that time when I was, you know, what's the meaning of the life? What, what has life got in store for me? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? All of those kind of questions. And I went on a course the following February. It was 40 in the November. And the following February, I took a week off work and I thought, I'm going to do a course. And it was called Second Aid, I think it was called. It was, it was what's Second Aid? Well, apparently, it's like first aid, you know, when you look after your body and, you know, you, you tend to your your bodily needs. This was kind of looking at life from inside out. So it was coming at it from a spiritual. So I thought, that appeals to me. I didn't actually like the course. And after, because I felt I was being lectured to. And, and I thought, if I don't believe this theory, do I, can I still stay on it, you know? But I met a woman there who was kind of a bit like myself, was challenging all the tutors, going, yeah, hold on a second, that's a bit, that's a bit very, very... It was a bit ippy-dippy, right? was it? Yeah, very ippy-dippy. I you probably know, love that. hands now. And, I, and I'm not against that, right? But I'm going, no, no, this is... More, more common sense and practical. ...to the meaning of life, right? And I met her and we, we developed a friendship. And after about, very shortly, about three, four months after getting to know her, I... I felt that my feelings towards her were a little bit beyond friendship. And I'd never experienced anything like this before, ever, 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 ever in my life. I've been close to women. I've loved women, but I've never been in love with a woman. And I thought, this this isn't normal. And I hate using that word, but that's, I'm only using it, take it in the context of time. I'm only using it because of who I was at that time. And I'm going, it is not normal to feel like this for a woman. It just isn't. And I was unable to share it with anybody. I was unable to talk to anybody about it, least of all her. So I lived with it for about a year and, and it wasn't getting any better. It wasn't kind of a phase. I wasn't kind of, I didn't wake up one morning and suddenly go, oh my God, you know, it's gone. You know, it's just my imagination. So in the end, I actually went to see a therapist who encouraged me to tell her how I felt. This is just a little discipline if you tell her. So I plucked up the courage eventually and I told her. And I, before I told her, I said, look, I, I just want to get something off my chest and I appreciate if you didn't interrupt. And I understand, you know, you, you don't have to say anything. I don't, in fact, I don't want you to say anything. So, I, so I, I confessed. That's how it felt. Bless me, Father, for I'm in love with you. And when I finished, there was complete silence. That must have been really an incredibly brave thing to oh, do. Oh, yeah. And for me it was. I was like, God, Jesus, have I just said this? So picked up my handbag and I left. Right? She didn't respond. She didn't say a word. Nothing. It was just complete silence. So I thought, well, that's the end of a beautiful friendship. But I knew that before I went in. I thought, at least she'll know how I feel and I need to end the friendship because I can't go on like this. How did you feel after saying that? Oh, did you I feel like tried, a huge weight was lifted? I, I, I did and I didn't. I, I felt a huge weight lifted off my shoulders, right? Because I hadn't shared it with anybody. So I'm driving home and I'm crying. And I'm waiting for the feelings to dissipate, to drop like a stone. Like he said, I paid him enough money and they're still there. But I thought, this, this too will pass. But about 10 o'clock, I got a phone call from her and she asked if I could meet for, for a quick coffee. Now, myself and my husband were off to Ireland for a holiday and we were leaving something around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I said, look, it'll have to be really quick. So I went in to meet her. And I thought, she's going to sit down and, and say, look, you know, I was a bit shocked. I can't continue the friendship. And that's fine. I was all brave. But in fact, the opposite was true. She told me she felt the same way. Was that like a huge surprise? Yeah. 
Uh, and of course, then that takes on a life of its own because I'm making plans in my head now, you know? I mean, God, I mean, we're in love with each other. So what's the next step? That must have been a great feeling that you're... It was absolutely, uh, totally overwhelming and disabling at the same time. So, because now I'm facing the reality of now it's real. Now, now I can give this life, but at what cost? Now, I didn't think at what cost at the time, I must admit. I just wanted to give this life. Nothing else mattered. My family didn't matter. My boys didn't matter. Nothing else mattered. She was married. I was married. And it was at least another 18 months before we actually got together. And so I did tell my husband. Uh, and I did leave him. I didn't go far. I only moved to a room, rented a room around the corner from where we live. Because I just said, even if this, if we don't hand, walk hand in hand into the sunset, I can't stay because my feelings for her undermine what we have. I hadn't stopped loving him, but I couldn't, just, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep both up without, I had to live one of them. And that was the one I chose to live. Now, like everything else in life, it was the catalyst. We didn't walk hand in hand. Or we did try. I mean, on and off for six years, we actually tried to make it work. And it was never going to work. We'd no map. We'd no resource. And there was a huge cost emotionally for both of us because I felt so guilty about my husband and the kids and kids. Because in my mind's eye now, they're babies. They're not grown men. And I've no doubt she had her own demons as well. So I think the guilt got in the way of the relationship, basically. And and as I say, we had no result. We, we, we'd no real end result in, in mind and love doesn't conquer all you know it really doesn't you need a little bit more than being in love with somebody to make something work and we didn't have the extra I think it was a very painful ending six years later I decided yeah this isn't going to work and I need to get on with my life oh, so you came back to Ireland oh, after that to hide. I came back to Ireland to hide absolutely to hide but were you what stage were you in the coming out process at that point were oh, you wasn't. quite comfortable with no, it no of course I wasn't no far from comfortable with it no I wasn't going to oh. tell anybody the only person who knew that I was in a relationship was my husband oh only your husband knew oh, oh yeah. I thought uh, lots of people knew at no, this point because no, you'd moved no, in together no no, no no he was my biggest supporter oh that's incredible and isn't he was it incredible he was absolutely incredible and it was like you know it it, this is your story you need to tell the story to people when you're ready I'm not telling people and he said we'll just say that the marriage is broken down end of story he sounds really emotionally intelligent and oh, very sensitive that's exactly what he was he was an extremely emotionally intelligent man he was hurt of course he was hurt but he was also um, very caring and very loving so it wasn't something that he could actually undo for me we made sure that we handled it in a very adult way for the boys Again, never. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't come out until I came back to Ireland. How did you feel then about being gay? Were you still I, I struggling with I was it? Or? Totally. I, I moved. I bought a, a little place in West Cork. No, I didn't move into that until 2000. But I'd been back in Ireland since about 1994 was the first time I came back. And then I went back to England again and I came back. And so I was I kind of foot in both camps for about two or three years. And eventually kind of made the move in 98 permanently. 
Still not out. Still had uh, absolutely no friends. Ended up moving to West Cork. Uh, and so what was the fear at that time? That I would be judged. The fear was I was carrying so much guilt over the marriage that I would be judged terribly. And that maybe I had it wrong. Maybe I wasn't gay. You know, maybe I had just fallen in love with a woman. Yeah, you still weren't, uh, yeah. weren't completely right. in that yeah. place. Absolutely. Maybe I had just fallen in love with a woman. People, that happens to people, doesn't it? It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gay. So I was fighting it, and I thought, well, I'm not gay. And when I moved to West Cork, people assumed I was straight, and I didn't put them wise, because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to put them wise. I couldn't come out to myself. I, I wasn't happy. It, my demons, my, my, and although I wouldn't say I was religious by any stretch of the imagination, but the demons, the nightmares I had, you know, it's not normal. Uh, you're going to die in the fire to hell for this one. This is... You know, you'll never be forgiven. It was just madness. Obviously, society, societal conditioning must have played a huge part in For influencing me, most you. Definitely, yeah, because of of the age I am, and I, you know, conditioning starts at a very, very, very young age. Yeah. And although you rationalise it and you intellectualise it when you get to your say twenties, not in your teens, because you're busy just living life in your teens. But your 20s and 30s, you start beginning to, you know, question. And I thought, you know, I mean, religion? Keep it. It's for the birds. I'm not religious. My children, I hadn't, didn't have them baptised for that reason. I wouldn't let anybody do to them what had been done to me. And I just, and I didn't need religion, I thought. And I still don't need religion. But this came to bite my bum when I'm dealing with this issue of, you know, why can't I stand up and say... Guess what, guys? I'm gay. And have no fear around it. But it was full of fear. And I persecuted myself. Literally. I mean, I, that's, I suppose, I mean, why would you come back to Ireland to come out, for God's sake? You, people do it in reverse, don't they? Yeah. They usually go to, to London. They go, they go to London. I mean, here I am in Ireland. But, it, you know, I, I think I had to come back to Ireland to face my demons. Because that's where they were. That's where they were born. And I thought maybe... You're not consciously aware you're doing stuff, but on an unconscious level, I think that's what brought me back. And I thought, no, if, if you're going to complete this journey, it's got to be completed where the demons start. You've got to bury them where they were born and um, bring them back to die. Ireland was a, such a devoutly religious country when you were being oh, raised. Yeah. And it wasn't so. It wasn't far off that when I got back either. There was still not. And I mean, I'm in rural Ireland for Christ's sake. You know, I mean, where they probably bury gay people alive. But anyway, I'm here. I'm back there, and I'm very isolated. I have no friends. I'm extremely lonely, and I might be gay, right? So, so what did you do? So in the end, the loneliness outweighed the guilt, and I thought I can't. I have to exercise this demon in me. I have to find out for myself. So. I started making inquiries with different groups and I phoned the helpline, the gay helpline, and of course couldn't even tell them. I mean, you know, I, I, this lovely young man answered the phone and, you know, how can I help you? And I immediately go into overdrive. Yeah, yeah, I guess what I'll tell you, and I was, I'd come to Dublin for a few weeks and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm only in Dublin for a few weeks and I was just wondering what's happening on the scene. What a load of bull. I couldn't even say, listen, I think, I think I'm a lesbian. I couldn't get the word out. I can't even say the word. So I thought, right, okay. That didn't go as well as I planned. And then I went up, I was in a coffee shop in Dublin and I saw the gay community news. So I picked that up. And and then somebody, I'd met somebody in Cork. She introduced me to a woman in West Cork because she knew I lived in West Cork. And she says, lovely lady you need to talk to. Really, you know, will understand and blah, blah, blah. And she said, I'll pass on your number to her and she can contact you if she wants to. And she did contact me. 
And that was the beginning of my journey, really. She she contacted me. She and her partner came over for dinner. And we started a lovely friendship. They introduced me to other people in, in West Cork. And then eventually somebody said to me, look, there's an organisation in Cork City called Link. You want to pop in there? And that's what I did. I was up working in the Everyman Theatre at the time. And we with the days off, and I thought... I'm going to pop in there, and I did. And it was that was in 2000, the year 2001, I think. And before joining Link, did you have any preconceived notions of what the lesbian oh, God, community yeah. would be like? I mean, I what thought, did you think? Oh, listen, I thought they'd be big, hairy, butch women, <laughs> tattoos, chewing gum, yeah. you know, and I thought, I'm not one of them, right? So I can't be a lesbian. That was my perceived notion of what they were going to be like. In fact, they were quite the opposite. They were teachers, lawyers, doctors solicitors, university lecturers. There were women from all walks of life and and I was included, embraced, supported, and I was never judged, never judged. And it didn't matter to them whether I thought I was a lesbian, I might be a lesbian, didn't matter. You, you need support, we're here to support you. And that was 2001, and as I say, by 2003, I, I stood out and bloody proud, and I thought, nah, I'm okay, There's no, I'm not going to die from this. I'll actually be able to live once I come out properly, and that's when I actually started living in Ireland. So joining that group and having the support of other uh, gay women... Absolutely. 100% really was, was certainly the, yeah, the road to recovery, because that's how I felt. I felt I had been mad for 10 years and uh, that I had a mental illness for 10 years and suddenly I found the outlet that actually threw a rope to me and went, grab hold of that and we'll pull you in because you're, you're okay. So your coming out process was probably about 10 years then or so. Oh, it was exactly 10 yeah. years because I was I was 40 when, when it hit me, just, just on 40 and 10 years later I, I came out. And that's when I came out to my sons as well. Because I, I wasn't able to say the word to them before that. And so um, what did it feel like then when you officially came out when you were 50 then? Oh, like it, it, just the liberation, the freedom, the not pretending anymore. And I had to come out like to, to friends I had in West Cork, straight friends, you know, who had absolutely no idea. And I thought this could be the end of friendships. But then I, I was strong enough to think that if it is, you weren't a friend. So... It, it isn't easy to do it, but I had the courage to do it. Well, you know, I think when you have some sort of support system, it's so much easier to actually then go in front of other people and say, this is who I am. And actually, it's okay if it doesn't suit you, because, you know, I have a gang of people behind me, and they don't have an issue with it. So I think that makes a big difference. I think support is really important to people if they're having difficulty, personal difficulty, and come to terms with it. Yeah, somebody they can actually go and turn Somewhere, to. Somewhere, yeah. And someone who understands where they're coming totally from. Totally understands where they're coming from and doesn't judge you. Because we all have a different coming out story. We all handle it very, very differently. And I was lucky in so much as when I did come out, like my family had no, my family knew, my, my like my first family had an idea, right? But when I did actually come out, there was no rejection. There was none. You know, there was rejection in some of their, their choices of language, right? You know, when they're, they're they're trying to tell you they're not homophobic, but you know it's they're so homophobic. They're struggling with what to say, they're don't they? They don't know how to word it. They're the right words. And so what did it feel like coming out to your friends at the time? At the time, because I got the support that I needed, 
in order to come out to myself. So once I came out to myself, um, I just bit the bullet and I didn't go around and go individually knocking on people's doors, but I had friends, I invited friends in for an evening and I said, look, I, I brought you here for a reason because I think we've become more than neighbours over the years, we've become friends. And I said, so as my, as of, as my friends, I want to tell you that I'm a lesbian and I actually used the word lesbian and I kept using that word because it's a word I needed to embrace and there was a bit of stunned silence initially and then it was oh well I, I have no problem with that uh, at all and um, one of my friends already knew my very close friend and so she was watching because she didn't want me to tell anybody I think she wanted Why was to protect that? me. I think she was trying to protect me. She had trouble coming to terms with it herself, if, okay. if, if she's honest. Um, so she didn't want anybody to hurt me, you know. So, but the other lady, uh, who was a policewoman at the time, you know, immediately went into, oh, sure, you know, I have a lot of friends and they're gay. I don't have any issue with it. But I knew immediately she did have an issue with it. But the one I admired most was my closest neighbour behind me. And she went, I'm not sure about that now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to think on that one. And I really appreciated her honesty. I thought, well, at least you're honest. You know, she at least you know what you're working with. And you know what you're working with. And I said, well, I'm not telling you because I need your approval, guys. Okay? I'm only telling you because, as a friend, you should know who I am. And this is part of who I am. And I said, you know, there may come a time when there's somebody in my life and I don't want to introduce them to you as a friend. I want to be able to say, this is my new partner, or this is my girlfriend. And it means girlfriend in every sense of the word. So that, that although I was initially nervous about it, again, was very freeing. It, it was, but I, I think the secret was I had my power then. I, had, I was owning it myself. And I think that's the secret. The rest is just society and you have to go through those hoops you know and you have to tell your mum and dad that they're still alive and all that kind of thing um, and your brothers and your sisters and you know and you just hope that they'll be there for you well that's incredibly brave of you because I didn't really have to come out myself very often because everyone kind of guessed yes. it was so obvious yeah. so your experience was the opposite was in a way. the opposite now since then obviously we've had the success of Mrs Brown's Boys and so on and so forth and I decided I would write my own show and I thought, I'm going to tell that story. So rather than have newspapers, I remember Brendan saying to me, you want to be really careful, you know, I mean, you don't want everybody running, you know, running, you know, writing stories about you. I said, no, too late, Brendan. I wrote the story myself. I'll tell my story. So the words came from your so mouth rather than someone else. my mouth. And, um, and obviously when it did, because I, I, I entered it into the, film, the, the Gay International Theatre Festival, and it got selected. So and this was in 2000. And, God, I can't remember when it was. About 2012, I think it was. And the newspapers were mad, as you can well imagine. Because at this stage now, Mrs. Brown's voice has been on telly. Right? And, you know, Winnie McGoogan comes out. It's a huge hit. It's a massive hit. Winnie McGoogan doesn't come out. But that, that's how the newspapers wanted. So it was it was extremely successful from that point of view. But So they couldn't distort anything because it's in the play. Right? I wasn't hiding behind anything. So, and because everybody knows who I am, and they also know that I'm gay, I don't have to come out anymore to anybody. So you cleared it up that way? Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. took control of the and I, situation? I took control of it. I thought, I'm not going to allow people 
use it against me or use it uh, for sensationalism. I'm not going to allow that happen. So, And I don't think it was a conscious thing. I think it was more, you know, when I wrote the play, it never started off as, as my story, my coming out story. It just happened to fall into place because it was, it was a story about my life growing up in Dublin in the, in the 50s, you know, two failed marriages and so on and so on and so on. I couldn't skip over it. You know, you get 40, and remember guys, you know, 40 comes with some surprises, right? And, you know, they say it's life begins at 40. And for me, it was a completely new life. And it was a completely new life. A so, real reinvention. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it was in it, as, but, but it, when I say it, it maybe it's a, a quarter of it, that's all it is, because the rest is so much more interesting as well, you know. So, as I say, it doesn't should never define us. Being heterosexual doesn't define a man or a woman. So why should be gay, being gay, define me? Exactly, it's just a part of your personality. It's part of who I am. And obviously, Ireland and the world has changed dramatically to the country that you grew up in. Yes. Do you ever think now what would it be like if if you were growing up today? If I was growing up in today's time, I I think it would be an awful lot easier uh, because uh, young people are much more aware of their sexuality and they get the support from their own peer group. You know, they're not just looking for support from other gay men or other gay women they get the support from their own peer group and they socialise together, they go to the same nightclubs, you know, there isn't the division that there was, there isn't the them and us anymore. Well, I hope there isn't. There still may be, you know, uh, people and young teenagers in particular my heart goes out to because although the law has changed, it takes a hell of a lot more longer for people's attitudes to change and the law may have changed and we might have got the vote but there's an awful lot of people still stuck in a certain way, still conditioned. Oh, definitely. Still conditioned, absolutely. And and my heart goes out to those parents as well because I do understand where they're coming from. I had to ask myself the question, and I remember being asked it at a, a, a link meeting. I was went to volunteer for the helpline, and I still don't know if I'm a lesbian. You know, I mean, there's there's some neck. Eh? And I remember the tutor asked, saying to me. How would you feel if, if your son came home and told you he was gay? And I said, I'd be mortified. I said, because I wouldn't want him to have the same disease as I have. And that's the word I used. Now, I didn't choose. It just came out of my mouth. And I said, and I was horrified that that was the word I used. But that's what it felt like for me, for my journey, like the mental illness. And I was only repeat regurgitating what was in there. Right, what was hammered what into. the beliefs around homosexuality were in absolutely, society yeah. absolutely so so it is easy it's tough enough growing up in the world today without having the added pressure for a young teenager to deal with sexuality issues it is tough and there's no point in saying it's going to be an easy run it's not going to be an easy journey it will be maybe in 20 30 years time when all of us that have been indoctrinated and conditioned into thinking and believing in a certain way are gone you know and we're, we're living in a much more understanding liberating society and you mentioned there about the marriage referendum yes so i think coming up to four years ago now yes. so what did that mean to you on the day that on Ireland... the first August, i cried i cried that we got it i couldn't believe it because i i mean i went out and campaigned for it now i'm not for marriage okay 
per se, I'm not. I've, I've two failed marriages behind me. I don't recommend it as an institution. Right? Okay. And it's a pity there isn't something to, to take its place, but I don't. Because it's very heterosexual, right? Uh, having said that, what I was, I was in for the right to make a choice, right? And that's why I campaigned so hard. But I was campaigning on behalf of the children of same-sex marriages because at the time, the children in same-sex relationships had absolutely no legal protection whatsoever. And marriage was going to give... The, I know the Children's Act came in as well, but marriage was going to give them that, right? Which they didn't have. And I felt... Purely by default, these children were being discriminated against because both their parents happened to be gay. Or one of them happened to be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There might be one biological parent and one, their partner was, was you know, they were with the same sex partner. And that's why I campaigned. A, because I wanted my friends who wanted to get married to be able to get married. And B, obviously, for the children. And it was such a surreal day, wasn't it? Like, I had moments where I could not believe that this was happening in Catholic Ireland. Nobody believed it. And we could, when I say we went canvassing door to door, we, we went canvassing door to door. And I I, got, I met some right, not so nice people. That's gutsy to do. You have to face the, you face the it. homophobia you know straight on. Straight on. Right, so and it's 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 tough, and it was tougher on the younger ones who were like only in their twenties, early twenties, so or late teens. And I thought these girls are going to need these young men are going to need some help after this canvassing night because you don't, you know, you don't expect to be spat at. You don't expect somebody to say they had an oil can, they throw it over you and oh. strike a match. You don't expect to hear those kind of things. That's and really traumatising to hear. Very traumatising to hear. And, you know, when, you, when you're when met with such venom, it's very debilitating and very intimidating. And I was big enough and bold enough to take it. You know, we're all entitled to our opinions. And I could actually see, like, teachers in, in people like this, you know, who had kind of terrified me as a youngster, you know, about the, the, the how sinful I was because maybe, I don't know, got ink on my blotter. Right, and I mean, you disgusting, sinful little girl. Right, it's only a bit ink, <laughs> you know. So I was able to put those kind of people in that category. So in a way, you're kind of mentally prepared for it. You've had experience with really, really difficult people. Absolutely. So I was able to go walk away and, and not be afraid to knock on the next person's door. Having said that, there were people who were absolutely just beautiful and, and we're 100% behind you. You will be getting our vote. We will go out and vote, as will all the family. You know, my mum and dad are going to vote. Aren't you going to vote, mum and dad? All of those. It's really worrying that those people, those really homophobes, are still out there. I mean, we don't really see them represented no. in the, hear about them in the media or, Absolutely. but you don't read about them every day in the newspapers. But those people still do exist. They are still there, and I think yeah. sometimes people can forget that. And they can't, and, and and we do now have the law on our side. So I think you know, from that point of view, we just have to. We we can't you know exterminate those kind of people. We no. have to because they're part of our society. But in time, that too will dwindle. Recently, you were on the Irish version of Strictly. You were I on was, Dancing with the Stars. Stars. You did brilliantly. You did so well. So there's been a huge amount of discussion about having same sex dancing partners yes. on these dancing shows here in Ireland yes. and in the States and in Britain. So it still hasn't happened yet, unbelievably. No. So what what's your thoughts well, on I all think, that? I think the reason it hasn't happened is that, you know, whatever production companies are responsible and RTE and BBC just haven't had the courage to do it. I'm all for it. 
you know, I mean, it might be, see, you know, Dancing with the Stars and Strictly, it's very, very traditional dance, isn't it? And again, it's back to what you're conditioned to, what dance is all about, particularly ballroom dancing and Latin American and so on and so forth, that it's the man and the woman, right? But actually, if you kind of turn the whole thing on its head and see it from a completely different perspective, it's not the man and the woman, it's the yin and the yang. That's what it is, right? It's a male-female energy, right? And I think we all we all have that energy in us. I have male energy in me as well. Absolutely, we all are. You have. And if you were in that situation where you're in a competition or you're learning a, a dance, which is bringing out that female side of you, geez, that would be fantastic to watch. You know what I mean? That's another. You know, we don't we don't we don't ever express the male. I never express the maleness in me, as you probably don't express the femaleness in you. It's because it's not encouraged. It's discouraged. So I think the, the dancing would be very, very interesting. And I think two men, because of the glitz and the glamour, maybe their fear is around how would we dress two men? Well, dress them as men and let them dance, is my opinion. Easier now for two women, for the woman to wear a tux and the woman to wear a nice flouncy dress than it is for, for a, a male and female. Unless we're talking about drag queens, then that changes it completely. Then have a drag queen competition. But I'm talking about, you know, same-sex partners. I think it could be done and should be done and will be done. And I think it is been done in the States. Oh, it has? I, I didn't see that. Has. Yeah, I think it has been tested in the States. So Ireland has to catch yeah. up. Uh, but I think what we have to do, we don't, what I don't want to see is a same-sex competition. I want to see a same-sex couple. As in, part of the show. As part of the show. Yeah, no, you raised a really interesting point there where I think society still sees gender as two polar opposite ideals when really gender is an entire spectrum. It's just an entire spectrum and particularly when it comes to expressing it through art form of dance. I'm more than capable of expressing myself as a male in a dance as I'm sure any man is quite capable of expressing himself as female in a dance. That's very true. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. And so... If you could go back in time, so to your 40s, yes. what would you say to that woman who was struggling with her sexuality and who was really scared to come out? What I, would you say to her now? What today? I'd say to her now is, sweetheart, go and talk to somebody. Go and find a professional that you can talk to or find a group that you can actually be part of, a support group, and go and talk. Don't try and do this on your own because you can't. And my demons kept me trapped for 10 years. That I wasn't even aware there was a group. I wasn't even aware that there, there, there were other lesbians. I, I was the only lesbian in the village. You know what I mean? I'd never met a lesbian in my life. I'd never spoken to, and I probably had, but to know, but to know that that's what she was, no. Nah. So I, I, I just had to imagine what lesbians were. I didn't, you know, like this is going back into my 40s. We didn't Google in those days. You know, you didn't go, what is a lesbian, right? Um, or am I a lesbian? Or can I take a test? You know what I mean? I mean, I could take a text, test, test for dyslexia. Why can't I take a test if I'm a lesbian or not? And I think it's only now that we're beginning to see the, the kind of the lesbian and gay relationships that are going on through time, particularly in the entertainment world and, and the amount of bi people in the entertainment world. And they want to keep this all very, very quiet. Yeah, it's all coming to the fore it's now. It's all coming to the fore now. 
Interesting. I heard a really interesting theory a few years ago that however many years you spent in the closet, you take that, subtract that from your age now. Okay. And whatever you get is your real age. Oh, thank you. So oh I really like God, that I'm idea. Only <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. Thanks to Eilish for sharing her incredible story and for fitting me into her busy schedule. Thanks to you for listening and please leave a rating or review on iTunes as it really helps me and helps other people to discover the podcast. And tune in next week for another episode of I'm Coming Out, the podcast. Thanks. Bye.